It is July 13th. This is the PFF forecast. We've got a fun one today. We're going to have Ross Tucker and Jeff Schwartz, former NFL offensive lineman. Uh, so finally, some people that have played the game on the podcast with us. Uh, they're going to be joining us. We're going to talk about a few things um, like Eric's juice cleanse to start off the show. Let's rock. shade i threw at you because technically you've played the game too yeah i've reached a seven technique before i don't know the college level i think qualifies everything else doesn't matter but the college level qualifies i give you that i probably have more ncaa touchdowns than the two of them combined We'll we'll have to ask them when they jump on so they'll be joining us here in uh just a few minutes i want to start off actually by giving a shout out to a listener Red Scott, um, he actually Venmoed me money to buy a better. I jokingly said, "Like my DMs are open. My last name's super easy." He actually Venmoed me like the price plus shipping and handling to Cincinnati for a better podcast mic. So I went out, I got new AirPods. Um, hopefully, these are a little bit better. If not, we'll be back in studio soon enough. But I wanted to give him a shout out. I hooked him up. Don't worry, I didn't just take his money. I hooked him up, so he's doing well. You, on the other hand, it might be time for you to upgrade as well. Yeah, I mean, this is my uh, headset. Um, what, what was Mike Renner was in charge of podcasts at PFF for like three and a half weeks, <laughs> and that was when the the forecast got its genesis. And he says, "Here, go buy these on Amazon and expense them." And that was like what December of 2017 when the, this show first launched. Uh, and uh, I've kept them the entire I've lost them a few times I've kept them I found them but they they are mine Um, and maybe yeah I mean maybe maybe they're on their last legs I don't know let's uh, let's get into a little bit of this I am curious you supposedly word has traveled to me may have done some gambling this weekend and I want to hear you threw me a couple numbers yeah there they are if you're watching on YouTube you can see the tickets uh, you threw me some numbers. I was very pessimistic. I was Mr. Under on basically everything you threw it at me. Yep. Um, what you got? Yeah. So the, there is a casino near the Cincinnati area that takes sports bets now. It is legal. Um, and uh, I went in there masked. I was wearing a hazmat suit just to make these bets. Um, <laughs> but I, the one that I, I like the most is and I, I'm gonna I've written about this and it'll go up on the site tomorrow. Is I got Houston Texans to make the playoffs at plus one forty four. I think that number should be plus one twenty seven. That's pretty solid. Yeah. Um, I the hatred of the Houston Texans, don't you feel like it's overly um, exaggerated because of how funny or how easy it is to make fun of Bill O'Brien? Like every other time a player's name gets brought up, it's like, yep. oh, Bill O'Brien's going to offer him a first and Deshaun Watson for you know Raheem Mostert. Look, I didn't grow up on a farm, but my wife did, so I'm going to I'm going to tell you a, a little phrase that I that I learned. Um, yeah, Bill O'Brien's a terrible GM, but by the time it gets to September, the hay is in the barn. 
The hay is in the barn. So you have, and, and look, Deshaun Watson is a great quarterback and there's not a whole lot Bill O'Brien can do from September one to, you know, Jan one to really screw this up. So I, I think, I think that I'm, uh, I think that we're on the right path with that one. Um, I like that one. There's another one that I got. And this one is basically, and I, I wrote, we talked about this on the pod, but I also wrote about it. Um, I got the shot or sorry, Lamar Jackson's rushing yardage at nine seventy five and a half, and I took that under. Um, it, it opened at nine ninety nine point five, so you're getting a little worse than open. But right now on Caesars, it's nine thirty five, and on some other books I've seen, it's nine ten. Um, so I think just by, I mean, COVID, right? Like if they play, and the other thing about these, what these, these things that they're all void if they don't play 16 games. So there's a, there's a push probability on these. That's enormous relative to another uh, a regular year, but like, there's just so much here. And the reason like Jackson, like the majority of Jackson yards came on designed runs. And I got to think that the Ravens are going to try not to, to design him to run as much as, as last season. So well, uh, I like that one. Isn't there a little bit, and actually I was listening to the new uh, fantasy podcast and Ian Arditz was talking about the Ravens this morning. And he actually likes their over. He just thinks they're such a good team. And I, so I hear that and I go, yeah, I agree with you, but they already know they're a good team. Last year, they had to prove to people that they were a good team. And so there was a little bit of this scorched earth mentality that now they don't need that. I think there will be a little bit more of a, let's, prepare for the playoffs instead of trying to go, you know, 16 and 0, as I saw, like, so what was it? You sent me this tweet. It was like, team up on the tweet. And they were saying, because they were favored in every game, <laughs> Vegas had them at 16 and 0, which is just, yeah, it's just uh, math, um, math is tough, but, yeah. but I could see it, you know, working the other way. And I think the rushing prop, I mean, he had 1206 last year, but averaged seven yards per attempt, 80 yards per game. I mean, they also had favorable game scripts in every single one of those games. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Any here, others that were really good? Here are two other that I took and I like. Nick Chubb under 1275 and a half rushing yes. yards. Um, Can I give you a fa- really hot take real quick? What? He might not be the best running back on his team. Yeah, I, I think that that's fair. And I mean, I mean that in terms of holistically. Like, Kareem Hunt is such a good receiver – yeah. Anyways, I like the that. thing that could tank this though, is they do have one of the easiest schedules in the NFL. So there could be a sure. situation where they get ahead and he runs the football a lot, well, but I also could very see, good. Yeah. I could also see them getting ahead and putting Kareem Hunt in because they are worried about Nick Chubb's injury and they have more invested in him and all that stuff. But I, I like, I mean, unders on, in a season like this is just good. If he stays healthy for a whole season, it, it's in peril for sure. But you know, the chance of that are low. And here's one I think that you'll really like. Um, this is actually close to our fantasy number. We have him at 819.5, but I just couldn't not. And this is Todd Gurley under 825.5. Yeah. I remember this was the one I struggled the most with because that's not a lot of yardage. It, it should be an advantageous offense, but at the same time, I just – I have heard so many bad things about his knee that it's hard for me. The Falcons have a uh, the second – I think when I reran the numbers today, the Falcons had the second most difficult schedule – uh, in the NFL this season. So there's not going to be a lot of running out the clock for them this year. I do know that he's eclipsed this yardage hole every season he's been in the NFL, including last year when he only averaged 3.8 yards a carry. So that does make it tough, but they do. Have, I mean, 
they're a backfield where Tevin Coleman, like in his best year, only had 800 yards for, for, you know, like I, I just don't think they'll run the ball enough for this to be a good, a good play, you know, e- even if he's good enough, you know, from a health perspective. Speaking of health, uh, does my face look thinner today? Yeah. How is your juice cleanse? It's fine. I've done these before. I figured you my, juice my, your own juice. Yep. Guys, I, I, bike, is... I, I bike over to the grocery store over here. I get kale. I get, you know, spinach. I get uh, carrots. Your, I get all that kind of stuff. Your skin and, is looking radiant. Your face well, I, is thinner. The longest I've ever gone is, is 10 days. I don't think I have it in me That's anymore. so but, long. But yesterday, I struggle with a day. I did 10. So here's the most impressive thing. When I did 10 days, it was, I, it was week one of the 2013 season. And I went and I, like I had, we had like a party for that. And then I started Monday and I was, I had such a bad headache that, you know how they had those two Monday night games. I couldn't even make it through that second Monday night game. (laughs) And then, and then that following Sunday, I was still, I went to Buffalo Wild Wings and all I had was like a, like a lemonade while I watched all the games. And that was the tough part. Um, I I don't know how long I'm going to go here, but I don't think it's going to be the full 10. Well, it's already paying off. All right, we're going to get to um, Ross Tucker and Jeff Schwartz. Before we do, I want to remind you guys, Fantasy 40, use that promo code, you get 40% off all subscriptions on PFF. It's a ridiculously good deal. Plus, if things uh, start getting canceled, we will prorate um, what you have to pay. So you don't have to worry about it, but you get 40% off. bunch of great stuff, awesome tools, prepare you for whatever facet of football you're getting ready for. Um, and... Uh, that's all I have to remind you guys about. So let's get to Jeff Schwartz and Ross Tucker. Ross Tucker and Jeff Schwartz are in the building, metaphorically, I guess. Um, guys, I want to start with this because um, during quarantine, I have been eating everything in sight. I always tell Eric about all the things that I'm eating. And we always hear about offensive linemen in season. Having, you know, you got to stay. you got to keep everything up. What was your favorite meal? when you were playing and now that you're not playing, has that changed at all? <laughs> okay. I'm going to answer this first because I'm the opposite of every offensive lineman that's going to answer this question. I had to lose weight to play. Okay. Whoa. I like, I had to lose weight to make my weight every week. I'm not one of these guys that have to stuff their face to get up to their weight. I was this big in high school. Okay. So wow. like my, my job is losing weight now. Like that's hard. It's hard to lose <laughs> weight for me in, in post career. Um, you know, I remember, I think Ross, we were at the Sirius XM dinner a couple of years ago, the Super Bowl, and people were guessing our weights. And I think people were like, Oh, Schwartz 285. Right. And I was like, no, no, <laughs> it was me, you and deal where we're standing together. I was like, no, 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 not close. Um, I'm just big, man. Like I don't. So I think the thing that I, I guess I don't eat now that I used to eat then. I mean, I, I just, I, I guess post game, man, like post game, I just would consume everything I could in sight. I just was so hungry <laughs> after gaming uh, plane rides and getting home and having another dinner. Uh, that's something obviously I can't do now. I can't have two dinners in a night. Oh man. I do so, that sometimes. Yeah. So I love topics like this. And what's funny about what Jeff said, that just made me think a lot of people don't know this, but when you're a player, like let's say you have a one o'clock game. Okay. The team breakfast is like eight <laughs> o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> And then you leave at like nine. Right. 
And you like, there's no like lunch. It's not like you come in from pregame warmups. It's like, all right, guys, here's lunch. Like you, you, you finish eating at like eight fifteen, eight thirty. Yeah. You don't eat again yeah. until after the game. So six. you are starving. I mean, you are like, you can't, I can't, I couldn't wait to get, if it was an away game, whatever <laughs> stuff they were giving us. If it were a home game, there'd be like a tailgate or something. Um, so I have like a, a, a very different story from Jeff's ninth grade. I was five, nine, one fifty. Whoa. 10th grade. Uh, I was six foot one seventy. 11th grade, six, three, two, ten. Senior year, six, four and a half, two forty. Freshman year, two sixty five. Sophomore year, two ninety. Then I got to three. I mean, I, I, I don't know how many years that is in a row where I gained like 30 pounds in two or three inches. <laughs> Uh, but it was like regular. But what's interesting is then I, I don't know if this happened to you, Jeff, but I got to the NFL. And so in the Ivy League, you only play 10 games or whatever. I got to the NFL rookie year, Marty Schottenheimer. Training camp was brutal. And then even during the season, the rookies had to lift weights at 6 a.m. every day. I mean, it was just an absolute grind. And I was not used to that. So you come from college – where you'd wake up at 9 a.m. to go to your 10 a.m. class and then your 11 class and have lunch and then go to practice, right? I'm waking up at 5 a.m., going in there, working out, all these things. And so I remember I started the year at 308. And in November, maybe early December, I was 288. I lost <laughs> wow. 20 pounds during the year. I I like hit the rookie wall because like I couldn't eat. I was like I would get home from practice at like four and I would sleep for like four hours till eight. And then I'd be like, wait, what do I do now? I mean, I was just, my body was so out of whack. And I mean, I hit the rookie wall hard and I wasn't playing at all. I mean, I suited up for four games. I was like a goal line tight end uh, in a couple of them against the Cardinals and the Eagles. But so I had a very different Rookie year. After that, though, I was, you know, usually go to camp between 320, 325 and play in the teens somewhere. What I remember now is I remember the first time when I was with the Cowboys, the first time I ever stepped into the deliciousness that is Chipotle. Oh, wrong. And it was either Chad, Hutch, Chad Hutchinson Ross. told me about Chipotle. Oh, so oh I went God. in there, okay? Come on. And I'm telling you guys, this is 2002 or 2003. This is incredible. What are you saying, Jeff? Chipotle? Really? Like, that's like you're like, oh, my God, I ate too much of Chipotle story? Dude, let me finish. <laughs> I would get two burritos every time. Like, I don't care who you are. That's a lot, dude. Like two of those big burritos with like every, I mean, they're like as big as your head, not my head, but normal people's head. They are that big. And I would, I would crush two Chipotle burritos every time I went in there. That's just one that stands out. Like, I I don't even know what to say. I'm so jealous because that was not ever my problem. Like I got to college at 355 as a true freshman. Okay. And I didn't lift weights in high school. Okay. I play as a true freshman. I lost 25 pounds. I then gained 40 the next offseason. I, I would play as a sophomore at 370. All right. Like I lost 30 pounds to play in the NFL. I, I never had a problem, Ross, of eating too little. Even when I was a rookie, I was on practice squad. I was doing the, the, the 6 a.m. Saturday morning workouts where everyone else is getting ready for the game. Um, there was a weekend in the NFL in 2013. It's my first start of the year for the Chiefs. We're at Jacksonville's in your first game. 
And we ran tight end throwback, first play. It was fantastic. I mean, even we didn't catch the ball, but I was hooked on Andy Reid when he called that play. I gained 19, yeah, 19 pounds, 17 pounds that weekend of my first game. <laughs> I weighed in at 332 <laughs> on no Friday. Way. I weighed in 332. It was a lot of it was water. I weighed yeah, 332 yeah. on Friday. We then had our McDonald's breakfast, you know, you know, in the offensive line room. We then had fast food Friday or fat, you know, at, 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 at the facility. And then went to dinner with my wife Saturday morning. We had another breakfast in the O-line room and we traveled. Then I ate dinner, Dave and Buster's. Then I had my snack before the game. And then Ross is right. We eat at 8 a.m. for one o'clock game. I don't really eat before games, small omelet, like half a bagel. I, I yeah. like to play hungry, finish the game. I, I eat on the plane again. I get sushi when I land and boom, I'm 349 on Monday. And all of it was water. I mean, I was 340 the next day. This honestly is not too dissimilar from my weekends where on Monday I can't even get close to a scale. I will crush like three pints of ice cream on a Saturday oh, night. I had Ross's experience because like I, I was a wide receiver in high school, first two years of college, then they had me play tight end. And I was I would go from 240 like week one. By the time this, my, my final – when I knew I was going to graduate, I was 205 by the time. Wow. I was playing tight end at, <laughs> at Division two at 205. Playing. Just, just, you know, ass-blocking players on the backside of run plays and stuff like that. But, like, there was – yeah. And then, of course, I don't have that problem anymore. But, like – but back then it was if, – if I let myself go for a week, it would lo- it'd be 15 pounds in the wrong direction. It would be minus 15 pounds. It's just crazy I, how it's different for different people. We're going to talk real football. I have one quick follow-up food question, though. Jeff, you're from Southern California, correct? Yes. Are you – do you like In-N-Out? I do. Okay. I'm from California, grew up in Northern, then moved to Southern California, and I love In-N-Out. But people hate on it so often. Okay. I have a theory because yep. every time I hear someone hate on it, they always talk about their fries, okay? Mm-hmm. It's a burger place. The burger is how you judge a burger place, not by the French fries. And then you just you just smother the French fries in animal sauce. Like it's not that hard. Like, also, it's get so them good. medium well done. Get them well done. Yes, you if can you order them, them any way you want them. Yes. It's not that I, I want to make I want to make one point real quick. Can I make a point? Yes. Sure. And I'm curious if Jeff will agree with me. By the way, five guys is better than in and out, just so no, you know. But anyway, that's a whole oh, other story. This is the you adjust for, I think if you adjust for price, I think in and out's better. So I agree so with here's the five my guys question. Better. Here here's the point I would make. And I'm curious, Jeff, if you agree. If I had to do my career over again, I would have weighed less. I would have, rather than going to camp between 320 and 325 and playing at 315, I would have gone to camp between 310 and 315 and played at like 305. I don't think what I got from those 10 pounds in terms of power or strength was worth what I might have lost in terms of agility and mobility and I think especially as you play a couple years and we'll get into it with some of the guys we're going to talk about but you really get your strength and your power from your technique I mean it's really from your technique as you get older so I don't have many regrets about my career but I do wish at the end of my career I had been lighter um, I, I, I understand what you're saying because that, that old man strength we talk about, I think is just better technique, right? It's, it's using leverage better. It's figuring out a way to get your hands in there and use your hips. When I, Ross, if I could have played lighter, I would have played lighter. Like if I could have, if I could have made my weight any lightly less every week, I would have done it. I was in the steam room. I was, you know, the night before cutting weight, like trash bags, sweet sweat on my body. Like 
I tried to lose weight. If I could have done it any lighter, Ross, I would have done any lighter. But look, I'm at you know, I'm at three like I think Kansas City. I was three thirty two at nineteen percent body fat. Like I, I I couldn't have been any lighter. Like you know, in New York, I was three forty at you know twenty one percent body fat. I mean, so like I just I I don't know what I would have been at three fifteen. I just would withered away. <laughs> All right, let's. Let's talk uh, about these these rankings because this is what I want to get to. Um, ESPN now it's not ESPN's list; it's supposedly a, a uh, put together by NFL executives, so to speak. And uh, their top ten offensive tackles: Tyron Smith, Laramie Tunsil, Trent Williams, Ronnie Stanley, Jerron Armstead, Lane Johnson, Bakhtiari, Ramchek, Trent Brown. Uh, people may have forgotten that he plays tackle, and Taylor Lewan. I am curious. I'll start with you, Jeff. You, you read this list. <laughs> you can swear on this. What was your first reaction? Well, I was just pissed about my brother. It just look. It just confirms the the theory I kind of have about NFL and evaluating offensive linemen, where we just we focus so much on traits and not actual production. It's the same problem that we have with with, with the draft, where we we value traits over production. I, I just I don't get it because. We're continuing to see now with less practice time that being good at your position by blocking the guy in front of you is really important. You don't have time to teach offensive line play anymore. And so this is a list that's like, oh, yeah, you know, Trent Brown, for example. Trent Brown can be really good. He's inconsistent. Taylor Lewan can be really good, but he commits penalties all the time. Like, congratulations on, on having good block every now and then. And, like, the idea that you have to always be the loudest guy, the most athletic guy, like, I just don't see how – some of these rankings like look Larry Tunsil he got I think a first place vote Taylor Wong got a second place vote I mean how are people watching the NFL and seeing that be the case I just feel like the, the, the evaluators and I, I talked to Jeremy about this a month ago so I know he's been working on it for quite a while um it just again it just reinforced my idea and I think Ross you probably feel the same way that people value traits over production and it makes no sense to me very well said, Jeff. I mean, I, I talk about this a lot on my podcast. Uh, this is, to me, not surprising at all. Like, when I saw this top 10 ranking, I thought, yep, that sounds about right. And not because it's right, but because that's what I can picture a lot of talent evaluators thinking. And it, it's crazy because this is like Moneyball, right? And the people that Jeremy interviewed – are the guys in that movie about the Oakland Athletics and Billy Bean saying, he's got really long arms. He's got great feet. He's got this. And Billy Bean looks at the other guy and is like, what do you think? Like, what do you think about Mitch Schwartz gets on base? Mitch Schwartz gets on base. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Think about this. I mean, I'm not, this might not be that surprising to you guys. I know a lot of GMs. I will kindly say that some of them are not the most impressive guys I've ever talked to. Okay. It's not, it's not as much of a meritocracy, I think, as you would think. Some of the guys I'm surprised rose to that level and they still don't get it. I mean, Laramie Tunsil led the NFL in penalties last year. Right. I think. Yeah. I think he had like 20. You know how bad a penalty is? You guys do because yes. you guys do all the stats. You get a penalty. Your chances of getting a, a score on that drive go down so significantly. It's mind-boggling right. that they still haven't figured out. The game is about productivity, 
getting on base, blocking your guy, as opposed to traits. He's a five-tool guy. He's this. It's one of the reasons why I'm a fan of pro football focus, a fan of what you guys do, because it is a result-oriented business. I don't care if the guy gets on all fours and barks like a dog. If his guy doesn't make the tackle or doesn't get to play, that's great. That's awesome. And that, you know, I I think Jeff and I are both biased. I'm he's biased towards his brother. I'm sure I'm biased because I saw this my whole career because I never had the traits and never looked pretty. The ironic thing though, is it's also guys why scouts and coaches always butt heads. Because scouts and evaluators love talent and technique, talent and traits and all this stuff. Whereas the coach is like, you know what? If that guy doesn't do this, I get fired. Correct. So I'm going to put the guy in there that does what I need him to do to block the guy. Coaches loved me. Evaluators yeah. hated me. My traits sucked, but <laughs> and, and it didn't look pretty, but I got it done. And coaches like, I don't want to get fired. So I'm going to put the guy in that gets the job done. Well, and your, your focus on penalties is so, I think, important because I think you guys on the offensive line have such a hard job because there are very few things that an offensive lineman can do that elevate the play of his team acutely, right? You make a perfect block on a third down and 10, and the quarterback still got to deliver a ball to a receiver who runs a good round and catches it, right? So you do your job, and you're 111th of the whole thing, right? If you mess up and get a penalty – right? Especially a false start, but let's even think about like holding in the run game, like a hold in the run game is like minus two points for your team. And that's almost exclusively concentrated on you. So from a value perspective, like you want guys, you don't want players at that position. There are some positions where you want positivity over lacking negativity, but in the offensive line, you want to lack negativity, right? Because the negative things you do hurt your team way more than the continuous positive things you have to do. And that's why, you know, somebody like Mitchell Schwartz, that's why somebody like Ronnie Stanley, like Ronnie Stanley should be first on this list, right? I mean, somebody who gave up six pressures all year while committing four penalties, like uh, Mitch was only five penalties, I believe. Uh, And, you know, not dumping points, right, all the time is way more important necessarily than like, and I know you guys like finishing this part of the, the deal on offensive line, but like, being like the splash plays matter way less, right? Because right. you need seven other things to happen for a positive play to happen. But the negative things, they tank, they tank offenses. Laramie, Laramie Tunsil, our 21st ranked offensive tackle over the last two seasons. Mitchell Schwartz was first, by the way. And what, what is really crazy to me is that even if you didn't watch all season long, I mean, how many of these guys just ignored the playoffs? That, that was what was kind of so crazy to me, was he dominated that playoff run, gave up one pressure the entire playoff run in his matchups against uh, Armstead, J.J. Watt, and D. Ford, 75 pass, uh, pass blocks, zero pressures allowed. So, like, all you have to do is watch the playoffs, and you would know he should be in this list. And, you know, and, and let me – Jeff, I know you can defend your brother, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in there, too, for a second – Because there's a bunch of different – I mean, this is a hot topic for me. Let me just say this. I'm going to go back to baseball again because the guys at the top of the list are like the home run hitters. Laramie Tunsil, Tyron Smith. Like they do – Trent Williams does at least one thing every game where you're like, holy crap, dude. Like that guy, that guy just – it's like a 500-foot home run. 
Mitchell Schwartz has the best batting average. It's like he hits a single or double every time. Like Tony Gwynn. Right. But, you know, we, we've, we've gotten to the point in society and evaluators are like this where they're not impressed by repetitive consistency. They're impressed by physical dominance or, or awe-inspiring physical traits, which is totally the wrong way to look at it. Like, for me, yeah, I mean, I've met Tyron Smith. I know those guys, like, it's cool to look at them, and it's cool to see some of the things they can do. But knowing what it's really like when you're out there, the consistency of guys like Ramchek and Mitchell Schwartz, I mean, that's really impressive. Like, that's a lot of reps. You know, the guy could knock down your outside hand. You could trip on the guard. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong. And to be that consistent over and over and over again, it's really, really impressive. It's, it's, I think it's more impressive to guys that actually played yeah. than physical traits. You're, I mean, you're wowed by the physical traits, but Jeff and I could both tell you guys we've seen in training camp who had like ridiculous physical traits and you're like, oh my gosh, look at that kid. They stunk. They didn't know what they were doing or they couldn't figure it out and they never even played. People don't even know about them, but they had unbelievable physical traits. Jeff, who's your top five? Um, Well, I look, I think, and this is the thing with these lists is sometimes I, I, is this like a a thing that we just did? Cause you know, I know Eric mentioned Ronnie Stanley I mean, he's had one great season. Right. And I think that's, so like, I don't know where to kind of put him in this list, but look, David Bakhtiari to me, should be at the very top because what he has to do in pass protection, I value pass protection now more than run blocking. i sorry. I said that, but I like, we just pass the ball so much now that like, I think you kind of have to value pass protection. And I just think that his ability to pass protect is the best in the NFL. Like that is something that is so important, especially in that offense. And, and I know last year they changed the offense, but for years he had to pass protect for six seconds, right? Cause Aaron Rodgers wouldn't throw the ball. So I, I put him up there very high um, on, on my list. Um, look, I know Tyron Smith. I, I have a, a, I have a soft spot for him. I know he's hurt all the time, but I do kind of lean toward like the traits of him. Cause I think he is that great of a player when he's healthy. And it's a hard problem when he's just not, he's just not healthy. Right. And, and that's a concern, but I don't know if he will be or, or not this year. Um, obviously my brother's up there as well. Um, I think Ronnie Stanley's in that category as well. Um, and then Teron Armstead, in my opinion, is up there in that tier. I, I like doing kind of tiers. And so my, I, I put it the other day, my, like my three left tackles were like Teron Smith, um, Trent, uh, 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 Armstead and Bakhtiari. And then my brother Lane and Ramchek. Those are kind of like my six guys, I would say. And Stanley, like I said, I think Stanley can be there. But my thing with him is he just has one season doing it at that high level. Like, if he does it this year, he would definitely be up in that tier one for me. Ross? Yes, yeah, so I'll be the first one to admit, I don't go back and watch every snap of these guys all season like Pro Football Focus does. And I don't know, Jeff, how much you do. So I go by when I am watching them, I watch the offensive line. I enjoy watching it. But I go a lot on my eyes in that and the games I do see them and then the pro football focus grades because at least I know you guys have someone that knows what they're doing looking at every snap. Like I, I, I just – sometimes it cracks me up. Like how many people really watch every snap for all 16 games of all 10 of these guys? 
that's a lot. I mean, that, that's a lot of snaps. Um, so I, I, I agree with Jeff and Bakhtiari. You know, watching Lane Johnson in Philadelphia, he's really good. I mean, yeah. he, he, you know, I watch every Eagles game. He is, he is really – he is the most athletically gifted right tackle yes. I've ever seen. I mean, he is, he is a true freak athlete. I think Ramchek and Mitch Schwartz are actually very, very similar. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll echo something that uh, Jeff said earlier about pass blocking. Somebody told me midway through my career, you know, run blocking is nice, but you get paid to pass block. Like you're here and you get paid to pass, which, by the way, is probably why I didn't get paid that much and was only there for seven years. I was not a great pass blocker. Um, but I, I honestly, I, I don't mean to just parrot what Jeff said. But the guys that jump out to me are Ramchek, Schwartz, Armstead, Bakhtiari, Lane Johnson. You know, the Ronnie Stanley one's interesting to me. Almost like the whole Ravens offensive line. I I almost put them, like, in a different category. I mean, it's so little that they're in, like, regular dropback passes that – here's what I would say, okay. I would have done very well in the Ravens offense – because everything's based off the run game or the RPO or whatever. And so I would have jumped guys and they, they are in very few obvious passing downs. Whereas like if I were with the chiefs or even the saints or some of these teams that there's a lot of obvious passing downs, I would have, I would have been abused. Like I, I would have stood out. That was not my, especially like at right guard. I But like, so I, I kind of feel like I need to grade everybody on the Ravens right now on a curve because I think I would have done pretty well on that offense too because the, the D line almost never gets to just tee off and rush the passer. I don't think Stanley would do as well in another offense. I'm with you on that. I would love to play that offense. I, I would jump guys all day. It would have been, it would have been so much fun for me. Um, and that's why I think I need one more year just to kind of see him one more year to put him maybe up. Because if he plays this well next year, he's got to be in that tier one. I mean, if he continues to, to, to develop at this, actually, I think they're going to pass the ball more this year too. I'm kind of curious yeah. to see how that offense evolves anyway. So we might get that, those pure third and seven, you know, to 10 uh, pass, pass pressure reps from him. You would think they'd be in less, you know, advantageous situations. I mean, they were like in the lead. Every single you they know, do have an easy took. schedule, though. If you just look at their upcoming opponents, unfortunately, I mean, most of the AFC North is in a good spot. Speaking so, Ross, last time we had you on the show, you talked about the Browns and how you like yes, their under because they they were projected to be poor on the offensive line. And as we just talked about, like spoiler alert, they it's worse. It's worse to be poor than it is good to be great on offensive line. I would say, right, like you can sink a team a lot a lot easier than you can elevate a team. What What's a team, like two teams, like one of them for both of you guys, which one has improved the most and which one has, you know, declined the most to the point where you think it's going to have a substantial impact on them relative to, let's say, their season win total? Yeah, and I, I will say this too. The one thing I, I probably should have mentioned Trent Williams in my top five. That guy's – I mean – He also he, hasn't played in a while. Yeah, I know if he be, plays and he's, he's healthy, healthy, that guy's he's unbelievable. Yes. Um, I'll also say this, and Jeff knows this. The other thing that we didn't talk about here with those evaluators, your draft status always stays with you. Oh. Yes. Absolutely always I hate, stays I hate with it. you. So all those guys, like 
in their head when they're asked, it's like, oh, who are the guys that went top five? Which is asinine, but that's really what they think. Well, don't you Um, think that's don't you think that's like their pervasive image of a lot of these guys? Like they probably watch more. It never goes away. It never goes away. It never never goes away. Trust me. Never. never It's why I mean it's why you see like Kansas City, for example, literally has like five former first round picks on their bench, right? Because like you know, there there are just guys like Morris Claiborne gets signed, uh, uh, Cameron Irving, like those Cameron Irving's been in the league like five years longer than he should have been just because yes. he drafted in the first round. And, and you know, <laughs> as both of you guys are sort of later round or, or not undrafted, and it's like you guys get fewer opportunities yes. and just fewer, less rope around to work with. I mean, are you, so, are you telling me that, that, that Eric Flowers would still have a job who was seventh round draft pick? <laughs> I mean, even Eric Fisher, like Eric Fisher's turned out to be an okay tackle in the NFL, he was, he was right? But he struggled year. mightily early on. Yeah, and, and the investments I mean, there with the money, they had to – and I was there his first year in Kansas City. Like, he – they had to make it work, and he's made it work. But, like, they, they invested that money into him. If that was a seventh-round draft pick, he's, he's out of there. And, and George, he's a good example George, of somebody who doesn't need to be brilliant to make an offense work. He's average and okay, yeah. right? And, and you know, they can cover a lot of things up because of Mitchell. And, but, like, they – you know, he doesn't have to be brilliant for that offense to be great. Yeah. To uh, to answer your question, George, um, I said last year I didn't think the Brown. I, I love the Browns under because their offensive line was going to be bad, and I thought they'd have a terrible head coach. Ding ding ding! <laughs> That's exactly what they had. I'm actually a lot higher on the Browns. Yeah. Uh, this year, I would say the team that has dropped off a lot potentially on the offensive line. I hate to say it, but right now I'd have to say the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, last year I thought they were the best offensive line in football. They were good at all five spots. I mean, they were really good. Now they had guys in and out of the lineup a little bit, but that was the the best part of their team. Right now, left tackle is a question mark until Andre Dillard shows he can play at a high level. And now with Brandon Brooks tearing his Achilles again, his other Achilles, right guard. Brandon Brooks was awesome last year. Yes, he was. Second most valuable player on the team, I believe. He's, he was he's between the, Lane Johnson and Trav and and Jason Kelsey, and I thought he was the best O lineman they had. So right now, I think you'd have to say the Eagles have the biggest drop off in terms of major improvement. You know, I was so down on both of them last year. I'll give some credit to the Texans and the Jets. The Texans actually got decent as the year went on. Like, they were okay. They have all five guys back, including those first two draft picks. You know, I had them – like, I do I do O-line rankings. I do tiers, like Jeff said. The Texans were in their own tier to start last season. It was the, it was the pathetic tier, embarrassing tier. And so they've actually been better. And then I don't know how good they'll be, but the Jets O-line was horrendous last year. And they've just so, thrown so many assets at it. They at least have some guys that are competent, Van Roten and McGovern. We'll see what Becton can do and Fant. But they got depth now, and they've thrown a lot of assets. It kind of reminds me of the Bills the year before. I'm not saying they're going to be great, but they've thrown too much at it to be the 31st offensive line in the league. They also did a really good job. Watson held the ball, I think, for like a quarter of a second faster yeah. last year. But, you know, so when you look at that, you know, for the Houston Texans, I think that'll really help them. The Jets were a nightmare last year. Uh, You know, Darnold in his third year might even be better at negotiating the pocket and even make those guys look better than what they are. 
So I, I, I think there's a couple interesting places around the NFL that have gone worse at a certain position and, and gone better. The Chargers, in my opinion, have just gone better at offensive line, right? I mean, you had Balaga and Trey Turner, and maybe they signed Peters, and that offensive line is supremely better right away, right? I'm not sure it affects their win total, but they're a, a lot better. On the flip side, the Packers, I don't like what they did at right tackle. Brian Balaga is still playing really well. I know he's hurt. I get it, but his contract wasn't very expensive, and I'm not sure Wagner is really going to be able to, to fill in that role. How the Ravens replace Marshall Yanda? Um, yeah. Yanda is, is most maybe the most underrated offensive lineman in the NFL. I mean, I feel like we don't even realize like how good he really is. And you know, how do they how do they replace him um, out of that lineup? I'm interested to see kind of how that goes. And that's a, a spot I think where you could look at. Hey, um, you know, if they can't replace him, they're, they're going to see a drop off in their offensive line play. And Ross mentioned their scheme. Maybe the scheme helps them out a little bit. Um, but that's a spot I could feel that um, that. You know, that could hurt their win total. And then, look, I, I love the Tristan Wirfs draft by the Bucks. I mean, he makes that right tackle spot right now yeah. solidified. They have a good inside three guys. I mean, to me, that just kind of brings their offensive line together. It's one draft pick. I get it. He's a rookie. It's going to be hard this year for rookies to get going because of the, the training camp schedule. But that, to me, just screams a great, great draft pick in a spot where they really need a right tackle. Uh, they, got, the they got lucky, too, right, because yeah. they were trying to trade up for him. A number of times and ended up only having to trade oh. up one spot with Georgia's 49ers. Yeah. I have one more team, by the way, that I just don't the Rams offensive line to me is gonna hold it <laughs> back again. Like I like like I Whitworth is getting Cam older. Can't play? Like he uh, he's been Whitworth is getting older. Their offensive line wasn't very good last year. We saw them switch a little bit schematically to help their offensive line out and kind of do more of, the, of that duo play to kind of get double teams up the field and not so laterally because laterally they're getting pushed in the backfield on their zone runs and they can't navigate and and hit on time with their running backs. So to me, the Rams offensive line, what they do to get better this year, just hope everyone's healthy. I guess. I mean, the Rams their, their offensive line concerns me. I saw that. Back. I saw that win total. I mean, at that I, we we took nine a few times under, and I think it's eight now. Um, but you know, plus price towards the under there. I, I like. I mean, that division is going to be probably the best in football, and they could they could be the worst team in that division. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think to your point about Tampa Bay, Jeff, Tom Brady. Tom Brady made Nate Soldier a very rich man. He made yes. Trent Brown a very rich man. Um, and I think when you look at like Donovan Smith, you look at Tristan Wirfs. Like there, he's going to take, he's going to protect them. I think as much as they protect him to some degree. And, and I think, I think that offense will be, you know, if Brady still has anything left, I think that offense will be pretty damn good. We talked about the Eagles uh, a lot and how we were a little worried about some of the things, you know, going on with that team. And Ross, I don't know if we, we mentioned the O line enough because now that you, you talk about it and you go, man, they have, they still have question marks at, wide receiver now they have a lot of question marks that what was the strength of their team they still have some question marks on the back end of the defense like their their win total is nine and a half right there with i know the juice is different but right there with the cowboys um so are you saying you mentioned tristan worse neither of you guys could jump out of a swimming pool like there's a thing where it's like it's like or like it's impressive but can you can you block the guy in front of him <laughs> no you know what you know what that was a genius move by him because four years from now, when Jeremy Fowler at ESPN yep. asks all the guys to rank their top offensive tackles, it'll be Tristan Wirfs number two. He See, might have seventy-two. People will remember. He might have seventy-two holding penalties that year. 
Okay, but it does. He'll be number <laughs> two because he once jumped out of a pool. His agent's you know gonna make a about him? I, You know what's weird about him? He's like a total freak athlete. Yeah. But when I watched him, he he, he got a little way. like uh, robotic stiffness in his game. I don't know if that's just what he's been taught, but he he was not as um fluid? lateral. He's not as fluid. fluid. As I as I thought he would be, like he looks like a weight room freak that way. But I'm much more interested in how well you shuffle and slide your feet side to side. And he had a little bit of a robotic thing going there. Wow. I, he's one to watch for me. It was interesting. It was interesting. Some of his like his his athleticism scores versus what people said about him. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean. Like you guys said, he'll he'll probably stick for a long time just based upon our initial conditions on him. But it'll be it'll be interesting to see how he does in that division because there are some pretty good pass rushers on that side of the ball. Weight room reps matter. I want to get you uh, out of here on this. This has been a lot of fun. Jeff, your brother is joining us for a uh, Instagram live later today. Oh no! What could what could we ask him or <laughs> or have him talk about that he would be? Uh, maybe unprepared for that would be a good time. Oh man, my brother, I'm prepared for something. Uh, that doesn't sound like Mitch. Um, oh, well, that's why I'm asking you. Because I'm trying to think I, of what, look, of what, what would, what would kind of get him? Um, I, I watched Mitch in the kitchen. I watched like 15 episodes. He was very prepared for I all. I mean, he, he's, he's, lo- he lost to me in a, the first time we ever cooked ribs, he lost. It was, his Uh-oh. ribs were so bad. They were so bad. He thought he knew what he was doing. He did not. So maybe you can mention that you hear that I yes. that, um, I bested him in the only Schwartz rib cook-off we've <laughs> ever had. Um, so that was that. That's embarrassing, obviously, for him in that in that moment. Um, no, I mean Mitch is very prepared. Obviously, I don't know what you could get you what 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 we could possibly get by him. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to this. Let's sponsor the next Jeff versus Mitch rib cookout. Because Eric, Eric knows this about me. There is uh, the limit does not exist on how many ribs I can eat, and I, <laughs> I look forward to that. That would be a lot of fun, yeah. guys. This was great. Thank you for hanging out with us. Have a great rest of the day. Peace out. You guys take care. Yeah, our pleasure. Thanks for having me.